Jig of Life, it just kind of strikes a lot of the right beats for me. I mean, for one thing, I like, I do have a hearty appreciation for folk music. I, I don't necessarily listen to a lot of Celtic music, but I, I do I do like, say, the sort of danceable minor key beat that's a, a melody that she's going for here. And also, just, um, I suppose this whole intertextuality and kind of just doom history coming back to bite you in the ass uh, sort of the or- ordeal she has here. So Jig of Life, I think, was one of the first Kate songs that hit me on a level that made me want to read more, that made me want to understand more. You know, I probably mm-hmm. picked up a book on palm reading after that, you know, the little line, little line in your palm. J- just those things that make you more curious and that um, you hold, you, you hold in yourself. And this is one of those songs when you ask, um, as you do in all the episodes, like what makes this one of your favorite songs? I think it's because it became so much a part just of my daily life of like, it's a reference. It is literally a reference point that I go to again and again and again that makes the mundaneness of everyday life more special. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we are going to be talking about the third to last track on the second side of Hounds of Love, Jig of Life. Never, never say goodbye. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. So I know that this episode isn't going to get out Thursday, but I've been really, really busy this week because, see, I've got a new full-time job. Some of you guys listening, you know me in real life, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, she got the job. So I have this new full-time job, and so I'm just really trying to work on balance things, and I realized, I think on Tuesday of this week, and I hadn't even done recorded this part that I'm doing now. And I hadn't quite like put it all together yet and just went, okay, you know what? This is not going to be coming out on time. And I would rather wait a day or so and put it out when I feel like it's ready than do a rush job. And so that's why this is coming out about a day or so later than usual. But I've actually been pretty consistent with having it come out on Thursday. So yay. Um, but anyway, enough about the whole thing with our job. Y'all don't want to hear about that. What you want to hear about is Jig of Life. So we have gone through quite a journey so far. Oh my goodness. We've started this side of the album with a beautiful lullaby. We went into this kind of tense dream and then we went whoa we're back in the time of witch hunts and then we get all calm again and now we get to do a little dance of life we get to dance a jig of life with jig of life and 
Oh my goodness. Let me just tell you about this song. When I was talking about it with our two guests that I'm going to be introducing in just a little bit here, I'm going to admit when I, I think about my history with this song, a lot of it has to do with, oh, I like the music. And of course I like the lyrics and I like how she's singing, but I never really sat down to think about the lyrics and just really, really analyze. I got just so caught up in the music and I feel like this kind of song is easy to do that because it's just so rhythmic and it just it's, it keeps you going and going and going. And, you're, and so for me, like the first time I heard this song would have been on the rest of the Hounds of Love album. And I've alluded to getting the album in Hawaii, used it at a pawn shop and listening to it. And that would have been my first time hearing this song. And I have to say that when I heard the when I heard Jig of Life, that it was unlike most anything I'd ever heard before. In fact, the only exposure that I had really to Irish music before this was, I'm just going to say it, Riverdance. Because when I was in high school, I was an alternate in my high school's color guard. And for a competition, I got to step in for somebody who was sick that day. And we did a routine to the opening music from Riverdance. And until then, like, so that, I heard that in high school. And then I heard Jig of Life. And it was like, oh, wow, I just, I just love this. I love the rhythm of this song. And, and I, of course, I liked the, the couple of lyrics I was paying attention to, like the chorus of, come on, let me live, girl, come on, let me live. And I, of course, I read about the song and how it fits into the overall story of the ninth wave. But until I really sat down for this show and talked about it with people, I didn't analyze the lyrics. And I have to say that after chatting with our two guests and also from my own perspective, that this is such a beautiful and pleading song. I think if I have to describe this song to anybody, it's pleading. Because at this point in the story, we know that the 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 woman has been shipwrecked she has spent time in the water and she's waiting to be rescued and she's going between past lives and and seeing herself as a ghost and watching her family going on without her and then this is like probably if to me it feels like her realization that oh wait a minute no i don't want to just give in to this disaster i actually do want to be alive and be on this earth come on, let me live. And more like, come on, come on, you know, hello, old lady. More like, hey, I'm Kate Bush and I'm going to be taking you on a journey. That's how this song feels. And it just sweeps you up. And the instrumentation is beautiful. And I absolutely love how she leans so much into her Irish heritage on this song. Because before the song, the only other like Irish tinged song that she'd ever done was my absolute favorite from the dreaming, Night of the Swallow. And now this is like full on. She's like, nope, nope, we are going completely there. And it's so beautiful to hear. And you could just hear her having so much fun with this song. And certainly I had a lot of fun talking about this song with everybody. I always have fun talking with people about Kate Bush. But I oh, I, mean, I always, always do. And especially on this song because it offered up me, offered up for me some really cool perspectives. And I have to say that, not to get too personal, but I've been going through a lot of personal changes myself where I feel like I've like 
where I would kind of think myself, you know, like if I could talk to my younger self, what would I say? And that song kind of brings me into those moments where I feel like I, I wish that I could like physically <laughs> talk to my younger self and show her what the future is going to be and just maybe tell her maybe to, to live her life a little differently. Who knows? But enough about me. Let's get on with the show for our guests. So this week's guests are both Patreon supporters. By the way, if you would like to support the show and get extra content, I've been a little slow on putting on the extra content, but I swear I'm going to put it more in a little bit. Um, we've got Christine Kelly, who has been on the show before. She is covering every single song that Kate Bush has ever done in chronological order. And then we've got our other Patreon supporter who's going to be on the show, and that is Craig Houston, who is a longtime fan from Ohio. He was first on the show for the Sad in Your Lap episode, and he is back to talk about his other favorite song, Jig of Life. So without further ado, let's get to what our guests have to say about this song. And I can tell you, I think you guys are going to really enjoy the discussion for Jig of Life. Let's take it away. Craig Houston. Yay! you i had you on for something i can't quite remember which one but we've had you on before for multiple yes pounds <laughs> of love and uh right. hi i'm christine kelly i'm author of the kate bush blog dreams of organon the only blog covering every single kate bush song and actually let me see i may i may be the only pro other project who's talked about every kate uh, kate song in depth like they're books that'll go through all the officially released tracks but i'm doing pretty much everything i'm up to uh never forever at present uh by uh, this week and next i'm working on uh bush's uh peter gabriel collaborations uh games without frontiers and what's the other one no self-control no self-control that's it yes yes uh, I, you can see it on now you can see what i know what i'm doing yes <laughs> very much Yeah, I remember doing yeah, those episodes, uh, and they were so much fun to do. I love to talk about those songs. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's fun because uh, for because you get like you get to like keep doing the song by song format for a couple weeks, but suddenly it's just about a different artist, Peter Gabriel. Mm -hmm. But like you're still largely staying on track because I mean you you do follow a lot of the same themes throughout these uh, two artists' work. Like I mean, say obviously you get the developments in technology with uh, Gabriel using the Fairlight and Bush catching on, and also just the sort of same uh, Britishness collapsing into global anxiety, which kind of overtakes the end of Never Forever and a decent amount of uh, say the Melt album, or at the very least uh, Games Without Frontiers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's a fun part of the blog to do. And it's always a lot of fun to read them. I, I read them, and I try to retweet them when I remember to, when I'm not too busy, but I always enjoy reading your blog. Well, thank you. I always uh, love listening to podcasts. Eee! And by the way, speaking of blog, where can people find this blog? Uh, it is uh, at katebushsongs.wordpress.com. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, everybody should go check that out because he's because because uh, Christine's kind of doing a little bit of what I'm doing, but just in written form. So, and it's always really, really cool to read the analyses. Yay! Well, thank you. 
Yes. So what is it about Jig of Life that makes it one of your favorite Kate Bush songs? Well, in the sequencing on the album, it comes as kind of a breath of fresh air, you know, because you're starting out in the ninth wave and you've got A Dream of Sheep, which is stunningly beautiful. And then the terror of um, Under Ice and then the beautiful kind of bucolic wake up sleepyhead going into the terror of waking the witch and then you hit watching you without me which is somber it it's the um, mother stands for comfort of the side if you will it's kind of got that uh, mumbly vocal and then all of a sudden you rev up and maybe you could say there's a hint in it inside one with the the cello in cloud busting but the fiddle work that starts assaulting you that just that thrumming that jig real whatever r-e-e-l um that tempo that pulse that just starts coursing through the track and you can't help but see that energy pop in a way that it really hasn't quite done that so far in this track because there is something there is a menace to it but it's open it's free it's acoustic and i i think that's one of the things that immediately pulls you and your attention when that track starts because you really haven't heard anything quite like it yet and I would kind of say, and I wonder if you agree, there's really not anything quite like it in her canon thus far up, up in the, the, the um, albums previous to this. Well, there was Night of the Swallow, which had some Irish instrumentation on it. and That, that was, is true. That was, and that was from the previous album. But no, that there's, this is so far, at least of songs that have been released, this is the really the second very blatantly Irish song that Kate has ever done. You're, you're absolutely right. And I can't believe that I would um, not really think of Night of the Swallow because it's one of my probably <laughs> top five tracks. But I think because that has that is so dynamic, it has such a payoff, but I don't think you hear it and go, oh, that sounds like it came from, you know, it could have been the Chieftains or it doesn't have, it's still a rock and roll song, even though it has these um, Celtic influences and the Irish um, that build up. My God, mm-hmm. that's incredible. But when you get to the night, you know, it kind of has that um, smoky lounge and then going into a rock song and let me, let me go by the end. There's a drum kit playing on it. You know what I mean? As to where this, it's all of these Irish percussion there's not, I would think it's absent of the instrumentation that would um, bridge it to a rock and roll song. Definitely. Guess, yeah, that's probably a clearer. That is, to me, the, the first, the immediate thing that you notice is uh, the traditional sense of it. Mm-hmm. And, and her voice comes in, and it is so low. Later in the song, like when you get to the second verse, you kind of think it would be low because it's the old lady talking to her. But really, even from the get-go, it's, it you know, hello, old lady. It's like she could barely hit it. I remember just initially 
being um, mystified, enchanted by it, that there's an otherworldliness. The ooh na 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 na. The these um, the words that aren't really words that have a, a lyrical sing-song quality that you get in fairy tales, in nursery rhymes, but there's that pounding behind it. There's an urgency in it. And it didn't hit me until probably, I'm going to have to be honest, it was probably a good three to four years after the album came out of me listening to it pretty steadily that one day it hit me that she was talking to herself. I mean, I kind of got it from the get-go, but, you know, one day you sit down with it in the profundity of what she's saying, that no, she's walking down the road, she gets to the crossroad, and she meets herself as an old lady. And this old lady is telling her to hold on, to not deny me of the little boy that's going to come, the little girl that's going to come, the one hand clapping there on your palm is my little line when it's written in time. It's an old memory. And maybe more than anything, I think at that point I became kind of a zealot about Kate Bush. That was the moment when I was like, oh my God, she is the most brilliant person that has ever lived and everyone needs to hear this woman. Now, I mm -hmm. found out sometime not too long after that that I guess maybe not everyone needs to hear Kate Bush because a lot of people I turned to, tried to turn on to Kate um, didn't get it at first or took a year. It took two or three mixtapes, you know, yeah. to finally <laughs> latch onto something. Mm -hmm. And then I, then I have friends who to this day remember me like playing them the ninth wave and still being freaked out by it. Like, you know, they still have not come around to where they could, could listen to it. So before that moment, for me, I think that is where, as much as I loved her, I came to a different point of realization that even though maybe in interviews, you know, she was like, oh, this is where, you know, she's talking to herself on down the line, that kind of thing. And it seems like a light subject matter or just a turn of phrase or a, a device in the writing. For me, it was a moment of like, oh my God, she is incredible. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then of course the track goes on and you get to where her brother does the recitation and that, that moment before it starts that I put this moment here, I put this moment here. I have always loved that. And there's probably not two or three days that goes by. I don't care what it is. Like it, it, just setting things on the table. I'm like, I put this ketchup here, <laughs> this mustard over here. It is a absolute daily part of my life. My, my dog, um, Samwise, who uh, we lost last year, um, I all the time, I would lay treats out. I'm like, I put this treat over here. Now I put this treat over here. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was it's this beautiful thing that it's just a byline and everyone who knows me knows where I'm coming from, where I'm, what I'm talking about from it. But um, it's just this, well, Cecily, it, it comes to that point of like, it's not, and I think most of the people who are probably listening, 
would understand this. It comes to a point where it's beyond you're a fan. It's beyond where you listen a lot or you enjoy it. And then that you got to go, oh, if I ever get to meet her, I hope I don't freak her out or lose my mind or anything. But how could I ever tell her, like, you're part of my life. Like, these little nuggets that, that, um, that walk with you and that you carry inside of you. I've got a friend of mine that, um, Mark, who I, I don't get to see a whole lot, but when we do, you know, we'll head around. And it's one of those things, one of those great friends that you always, it doesn't feel like any time's passed. Yep. And we can just be walking down the street and he will literally go, washing machine, washing machine. <laughs> and we will crack up for like five or 10 minutes. And me trying to hold my gut, people thinking I'm, I'm, you know, having a heart attack or something, but just laugh out loud funny. And it's not like making fun of the track. It was like that beautiful moment of hearing that song for the first time and being moved and, and wondering what this new strange thing is. And then hearing that and that thing walks with you, it becomes part of your life. It changes who you are. Mm -hmm. So and adds to who you are. So jig of life, I think was one of the first Kate songs that hit me on a level that made me want to read more, that made me want to understand more. You know, I probably mm -hmm. picked up a book on palm reading after that, you know, the little line, little line in your palm, J just those things that make you more curious and that um, you hold, you, you hold in yourself. And this is one of those songs when you ask, um, as you do in all the episodes, like what makes this one of your favorite songs? I think it's because it became so much a part just of my daily life of like, it's a reference. It is literally a reference point that I go to again and again and again that makes the mundaneness of everyday life more special. And I think that is the most and best gift you can give yourself as a fan of any artist in whatever medium, whether it's a, a quote in a book or a poem or um, a bit of imagery, a line from a movie, that it, it gets into the, the warp and the weave, you know, in fabric, that it, it just becomes part of the, of your fabric. And, um, once it does that, it can mean 10,000 different things, but that is where, and that is why it is special to me because it made enough of an impression on me that parts of it have come into my everyday life just as a part of how I get through day to day. So we're here to talk about a song that I know when we first connected, I guess this would have been, I guess so like, not long after I started doing the show, you said you wanted to talk about the song because it's your favorite Kate Bush song. So what is your history with this song and why is Jig of Life one of your favorite Kate Bush songs? I mean, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a favorite from Hounds of Love for me as well, but what is your personal connection to this song? I think I just initially heard it as part of Hounds of Love. Uh, which I actually took a while to hear after uh, properly getting into Bush. Like I, I started with Central World, then 
I think I went through basically all of the pre-Hounds albums before actually getting to Hounds. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really have a speci- I don't really have a particular story with this song, but I think over time it just kind of shifted into this uh, position as my favorite, and it's kind of hard for me to explain why. Like there are a few uh, works of art that I just kind of struggle to explain the appeal of for me personally. Like I'm say I think of. Tom Stoppard's play Arcadia, which I love, but I could not for the life of me tell you why. Mm-hmm. But um, I think Jacob Life, it just kind of strikes a lot of the right beats for me. I mean, for one thing, I like, I do have a hearty appreciation for folk music. I, I don't necessarily listen to a lot of uh, Celtic uh, music, but I, I do, I do like to say the sort of Danceable minor key beat that's uh, a melody that she's going for here, and also this um, I suppose this whole intertextuality and kind of just doom history coming back to bite you in the ass uh, sort of the or- <laughs> ordeal she has here. So, what do you like about it? Well, I like that it has a little bit of a beat, and you can definitely dance to it. It's supposed to. It's a jig. That's what it's even in the title. And ah. Uh-huh. I like I like some of the lyrics and that little bit at the end where her brother is reciting a poem. I get that just in my head randomly. <laughs> just it's just a I'm sure that everyone at home wants to hear us uh, singing this rather than hearing a uh, Kate herself do it. <laughs> No, I like also just the lyrics, like the whole, like, she, it feels like at this point in the story that she is, she realizes, wait a minute, I do actually want to be alive. I have to get through this and I'm going to dance my way through it. And I just like, like the, the way she's imploring, like, come on, let me live. Like she's realizing, wait a minute, no, I do want to be alive. I mean, the ninth wave as a whole is kind of this dark night of the soul piece. It's, I don't know, it's almost like, I don't know, and that might be weird to use this uh, analogy, but it feels almost like an art installation where you just kind of watch it unfold at length and just let, uh, just say, watch different uh, pieces of it uh, get juxtaposed over time until it kind of shifts into this absolutely monumental hole. Mm-hmm. Like, like, say, Jig of Life, it's essentially a bush puts herself in front of a mirror, just a, a character, a, a character in two different places at life, which is essentially two different characters. It's both a, a, a monologue and a duet, which is just kind of this weird literary blending that I, I'm into that kind of weird shit. <laughs> Probably my favorite, but uh, my favorite part of the song is, well, I mean, I do love the the line, the place where the crossroads meet. Mm-hmm. Just the, the, just kind of this feels like this temporal crash where you have just different cat, uh, catastrophic moments in life crashing down, meeting each other. Just kind of like everything is happening simultaneously. Like all of uh, all of her own personal history is crashing down on her at once. But uh, 
another line just uh, that really speaks to me for, in, as far as that theme goes is, uh, and your little boy and to your little girl on the one hand clapping, where on your palm is my little line where you're written in mine as an old memory. Mm. Which, um, it's just the, I just, I mean, like, first of all, catchy as fuck. Um, secondly, it just, I don't know, just the idea of like, that just, uh, that, that your own, that your own future can just possibly squash you like a bug. Like if you like, you just have you in the palm of your hand is just kind of terrifying. Like, cause I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, um, another interesting thing about that song is that it's very optimistic and the idea that the future wants you to live, like, come on and let me live. But at the same time, like, she makes it scary. Oh, how so? Um, I mean, she sounds kind of ferocious. Like, uh, I mean, like, I mean, let's say, I mean, lyrically, like, you have stuff like the whole, just, uh, I mean the 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 line the poem that I I'm clearly good at uh, paraphrasing here, <laughs> but yeah. Also, just to her her uh, her whole uh, performance is just kind of stuff like the guttural performance of a never 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 let me go, mm-hmm. which is um yeah it's it's kind of a terrifying song to me. Like I don't listen to it a lot just uh, so I don't so just so I don't diminish its power, but it just kind of always has this weird effect on me or like, okay, please, Kate, do not step on me and crush my skull or something. I just thought that might have to be because of the music, because the music is definitely very urgent. Yeah. It's just, it, Yeah, you know, she goes right from hello, as soon as she says, hello, old lady, like, it just goes right into it. Yeah, it's uh, kind of she's kind of in her lower register for a uh, lower part of her register for most of the song, isn't she? Yeah, she is. She really doesn't do any. She doesn't really do any high parts. In fact, um, let me pull up here um, the sheet music for it. Um, not that I don't think you could really ever play an acoustic version of this song. <laughs> not really. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I can't really imagine because that melody is um. That's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, and, and also there's a lot of counterpoint and counter melodies going on in the song that would be really hard to just try and pull off like by yourself. I could never, I would never attempt to do a girl and piano version of this song. Hell no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jig of Life. Uh, it actually, it says no chords. It just has her... Her singing, yeah, yeah, she sings real low. She hits a low D- G there. Hmm. And it looks like the highest she goes is on the come on, let uh, the background for come on, let me live, girl. That's it. And that's not even that high. It's it's weird. She, she's kind of oddly, rest, I mean, not restrained because like she she's it's a fucking ferocious vocal, but also 
there's not only is she sing is she giving herself to lower part of her register, there's not actually a lot of singing in this song. Mm-mm. Like after the first couple minutes, there's just no more verses. And then uh, like you have like, I think in a minute of instrumentals and then her last vocal contribution to the song is I put this moment here, I put this moment here, I put this moment. And then it's just the John, uh, the Jay Bush uh, monologue uh, leading us out. And it's, yeah, I think feel like she's very much taking the composer's seat more than mm-hmm. the singers, which is kind of uh, I I suppose it's kind of where she ends up for in the later part of her career, especially with uh, Ariel. Second side of Ariel is, or the, sorry, the second side, the second disc of Ariel is just like one big mood piece, and she's kind of in the background, not as upfront. Yeah, you can see, you can imagine uh, Kate preparing for uh, to make Ariel by uh, just listening, re-listening to Never Forever, then hitting on uh, Night Scented Stock and going, "Hmm, I like this. What if I made it two hours long?" Oh, um, yeah. So as more or less. Uh, a musical hack. I'm just wondering, is the uh, like second half of the song at all been some kind of melodic inversion? The first half, because like I find they sound similar but aren't quite the same. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to express this, but I don't know. Maybe just uh, some maybe flattening some notes, stuff like that, because uh, it it sounds close but not quite. No, I think it is similar, but it. But I do hear sometimes a couple of, uh, I think there might be a couple of notes that are sharp that are against notes that aren't. But I do think that mm. it is the same, like whatever, are, are you talking about the uh, the part that uh, Jay Bush is um, reciting the poem over it being the same as the beginning of the song? Um, I think it might be, or at least the, or at least say the, I'm not really sure if you can call it the middle eight, but basically the part with no vocals, like how, like how does that contrast with, say, the rest of the song? No, yeah, I think it is about the same. 
with 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 a couple of hmm. notes either sharp or either sharp or flattened. Yeah, I was doing a bit of research for this earlier, and I just remember it was when I first listened to the blog. I was going through some of uh, Kate's personal favorite albums, and uh, there's well, there's a piece from from one of the albums you mentioned that actually is extremely uh, close melodically to Jig of Life. It's um, from uh, an album called, I think it's Renaissance of the Celtic Heart by uh, Alain Stivelle, who's a uh, French-speaking uh, Breton Celtic uh, folk musician, harpist, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, who, was, uh, who uh, became popular in the 70s. But uh, he's, a very, I think, uh, actually later collaborator of Bush, but also kind of a as consistently an influence on her, like about as much as, say, Brian Ferry or Peter Gabriel. And uh, the the particular uh, bit I was looking for, uh, what I really listened to today off the off the album, uh, Renaissance of the Celtic Harp, is, um, I'm, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation horribly, uh, I think it's a Geltacht uh, medley, which I think might be the source of uh, Jig of Life's melody. I mean, it's, hmm. uh, there's just this, uh, this section, that the first couple minutes, which I think she plucks from pretty directly and i mean which would make sense because uh, there's fa- i think famously she's talked about how her brother patty came to her with this bit of folk music that uh that that she ended up really loving then ended up repurposing it for the song and in typical fate kate fashion kate fashion never actually identified what the damn song was mm-hmm. which it's kind of like how she never talked about like say what book she read that inspired the dreaming or what tv show got her thinking about uh, about whatever caused her to write kashka from baghdad but i i don't know I'm, like i'm not positive that i've made a breakthrough here but i think it's pretty close to one of this person coming to visit them, to give them a bit of help here. I mean, it's about time they had a bit of help. So it's their future self saying, look, you know, don't give up. You've got to stay alive, because if you don't stay alive, that means I don't, you know. And I'm alive. I've had kids. I've, you know, I've been through years and years of life. So you have to survive. You mustn't give up. Yeah, it's an intense song. Like, it, it's such a plea yeah, was, no, the yeah. come on, let me live. Just like, hey, you need to get through this so you can grow old and become me and and give me all your memories. Right. Yeah. That, <laughs> and that your past and present could meet up, and and that that it's not as linear as we think it is. I I think a lot of times 
um, my grandmother lived to be 94. And it was always amazing to me the things that she could remember from her childhood or her young womanhood um, that would come out in just a torrential flow of information um, where you know she couldn't tell you what she had for lunch, but that that part it seemed to be no time had elapsed, mm-hmm. like it was as fresh to her as anything, and, and I think that's a, a beautiful realization, uh, even as sometimes uh, as our perhaps physical abilities start to recede, th- that you do have a lifeline. And, and that's what this song is talking about, that, that confluence of, of, of old age looking back to the young age and, and being able to touch it. And um, I'll never forget, there was a, a time, um, she, by the way, my grandmother wasn't doing well at that time, and I, I wanted to somehow... Reach out to her in, in a way that um, could be meaningful and beyond the cares of her um, her state at the time. And uh, for whatever reason, I found some old recordings of the Carter family. You know, oh. who came out of the foothills of Appalachia, Virginia, mm-hmm. Kentucky, at that point. And uh, I had made her. Um, you know, they'd gotten her a music player and I think it was a CD and I made her a CD of all these old songs like uh, Keep on the Sunny Side and um, she was convalescing at the time she'd had surgery and that music came on and she sang along there were people you know there were her kids could come in the room and she might not know their name but she sang along with every song on this uh, Carter family record because that was her childhood you know that was in the fabric of her being and I, I think that there's something there that, that um, in, in the story, it, it talks about that and, and that wanting to uh, communicate with your former self. Sometimes I kind of sit back from it and I imagine that the old lady, even as the young lady is approaching and seeing the old lady, like the old lady is standing over a crystal ball, looking down and seeing mm-hmm. the young, that, that there is uh, a give and a take, that there's a flow. Um, things that you think of when you're a kid that you're going to do when you're older, or how you're going to be. And then uh, I turned 50 last year. So um, it's amazing to me some of the things that, were childish that maybe I thought one day I would put aside, you know, as, as a child, you um, spake, spoke as a child. And, and then when you grow up, you put away childish things. And um, how glad I am as an adult that um, the Lord of the Rings and Winnie the Pooh and um, Kate Bush and Stevie Nicks still mean so much to me because they're the, closest, quickest, and sometimes um, most truthful link that I have to the truth of the person I was. Mm-hmm. You know, when you remember, like, before life changed, bef- before you realized there were certain things that weren't going to happen 
Like I wasn't going to be the next Elton John, those sorts of things before, <laughs> before like, oh yeah, I'm going to have to get a full-time job and oh, okay, I'm not going to like my job every day. But those things that take you back and um, give you pleasure, give you hope sometimes, give you comfort sometimes. But more than anything for me in speaking right now, I'm just saying, giving you that sense of yourself, you know, like, oh, okay, I can see on this path where this thing that I loved as a kid has come back again and again and again. And I'm sure, without making too much of a leap, that this being set in the, this um, Irish jig, mm-hmm. you know, that it probably speaks to something of Kate's mom, who was Irish. Yes. Because, the, you know, the folk tunes that you uh, refer to so often, especially in the, the earlier episodes, um, you know, Kate didn't write this music. It, it said Patty found this music. Mm-hmm. You know, that um, it is a roller coaster, and I think it picks up a lot of things, that it points in many directions at once. It, because it does speak of her heritage, it speaks of her future. Um, and then on top of it, the story of the Ninth Wave and where we're at in the um, the flow of the songs and the story that she's telling. It's not a horror song. You know, it's not Under Ice. It's not Waking the Witch. It's not about her family missing her in the in the present tense. It's about her future self giving her encouragement to make it. Yes. So you can almost take this one out of context of the, of the, the suite of the ninth wave, and it still make complete sense and have a resonance outside of the ninth wave. I think, obviously, as the huge mountain that is Hello Earth, oh my God, I don't think Hello Earth would be as magnificent if it as it is if we went to Watching You Without Me to Hello Earth. Like, mm-hmm. Jig of Life is this incredible bridge that has up the ante in your pulse, but somehow given this sense of hope that I think there's hope in the track. Mm-hmm. And especially, and the, the poem, I think, adds to the sense of hope. Like, you get to the point, like, there's this decision going to be made. You know, she's going to have to decide. And, of course, uh, as we saw in... in um, before the dawn, let me live. You know, she makes that decision. And then it goes in um, on the album where she has her, um, there's kind of those voices going in and out. And then you hear say, let me live, let me live. And she starts hollering. And then it goes into this song and it's just like, okay, there's tense, hard, dark work to be done. But, this song is the life's blood and this song is the will to live. I think personified, put into music. Thank you. 
written in Ireland. Uh, at one point, I did quite a lot of writing in Ireland, lyrically particularly. And again, it was a tremendous sort of elemental dose I was getting, you know, all these beautiful countryside and spending a lot of time outside and walking. So it had this tremendous sort of stimulus from, from the outside. And this was one of the tracks that the Irish musicians that we worked with was featured on. There was a tune that my brother Paddy found, which uh, he said, you've got to hear this, you'll love it. And uh, he was right. <laughs> he played it to me and I just thought, you know, this would be fantastic somehow to incorporate here. But that was really the idea, just to sort of pull this person up out of um, despair. This whole, I mean, the way that this song sits within the, like, the overarching story of the ninth wave to me is that, you know, you're, you're trying to get out of this bad, you're trying to talk yourself out of this terrible experience. In this case with the, the protagonist in the story, it's this woman trying to stay alive and wait to be rescued as she's just bobbing around in the ocean right and the way she says come on let me live you know like like it's a choice you know like you've got a choice right now you can let go but come on let me live let me live girl and um my god if that doesn't send shivers down your spine you need to get your spine checked that's incredible what do you think of the um the recitation part, the the poetic declaiming that her that her brother does. I love the poem that he did. I believe this is like the first time that he's been on. I think this is the first time he's done a poem on any of her songs. Now that I think of it, because I mean he was involved with her her tour of life and occasionally doing poems in between songs, especially before like the kick inside and then. Uh, I know toward the end. Oh, before Oh England, My Lion Heart. Right. Uh, but this is when we're like, it's on one of his, her official recordings. And I love the imagery in this, especially the, especially the first three lines. Can't you see where memories are kept bright, tripping on the water like a laughing girl? Time in her eyes is spawning past life. One with the ocean and the woman unfurled. Oh, over here. Can't you see where memories are kept bright? Tripping on the water like a laughing girl. Time in her eyes is spawning past life. Run on the ocean and the woman unfurled. Do you think that the the protagonist, the heroine in the water, is remembering this as like that moment when uh, the water was a beautiful or a friendly time? Tripping on the water, like like where the water wasn't um, the thing that was going to destroy her. I agree. I, I definitely think so. Yeah. Like thinking of like That's... when you're a kid and maybe you're, you're splashing around in the, if you're splashing around in a river or splashing around in a pool and you're just, yay, it's water, woohoo, right. and it's making splashies, yay. <laughs> right. And, and so it's that beautiful time, that child look time. And then honestly, I... It, <laughs> Unintended, I guess he kind of goes over my head in ways 
in, in the beautiful, delicious way that poetry should, you know, there's a point where you go, well, that probably relates to the story where she's feeling, but when he gets into um, waiting for then, when the life spray cools, for now does right in on the curl of the wave, and you will dance with me in the sunlit pools. We are of the going water and the gone. We are of water in the holy land of water, and all that's to come runs in with the thrust on the string. Waiting for then when the life spray cools, for now does ride in on the curl of the wave. And you will dance me in the sunlit pools. We're of the going water and the gone. We are of water and the holy land of water. And all that's to come runs in with the thrust on the strand. I'm sure there are things in there, well, and maybe for you even, but I was trying to think like, yeah, if you live on an island, this probably, when you have the sense of the tide is in, the tide is out, when that's part of your um, daily existence, you know, um, and the lady's feeling like the moon that she loves, don't you know that the stars are part of us? You know, when you have a, a direct connection in your daily life to knowing what the moon is doing to the tides and how it's pulling and um, like getting out to, oh, what's the island off the northern tip of France? Um, Oh, there's several. Well, the one with the the church that you can walk across to if tide is low. Oh, uh, Mont Saint-Michel. Thank you. Yeah, not Michael, Michel. Mont Saint-Michel. You know, like there are places where you have to know what the water is doing or you're not going to survive. Oh, yeah, you know, I've like been there. The, yeah, you're by the water. Um, I mean, there's a river that goes through Dayton, but it's, I, we're not attuned to the tides, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like in the same way in, in the, the push and the pull. So, um, but I think that having this um, sonorous male voice come in and declaim in these beautiful uh, billowous words you know these well like waves coming in like voice there's a beautiful uh delivery and i think it's just perfect like he it was the perfect i i mean i would have loved to have been in the studio or around the kitchen table or wherever they was where she went hey what about that one piece from that one poem do you think that works and he stands up and like you know and then they rush to the studio and go like yeah put it here Mm-hmm. You know, put this moment here. Put this about... poem here. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh my god, because it's just incredible, Cecily. I mean, it's just when when they talk about an artist reaching their imperial phase, when you can put out an album as self assured as Hounds of Love, get through side one, great singles, all of the the various. Um, source material for the songs all of that stuff and you get into the ninth wave and you're what is it four or fifth fourth or fifth song in? um let's see uh let's see and dream of sheep under fifth. ice waking the witch watching you without me jig of life hello earth the morning fog yeah well there's just such a sense of abandon that goes through jig of life that the um, I wish I had the the chops to uh, talk sensibly about an Irish jig or Irish reel in six eight time that 
the propulsion in it, the the drums, the way they go through it, uh, there there is an intensity that um, just rivals anything that I've ever heard in recorded music. Like it just seems to be um, a masterclass of that moment where everything that you've stepped out of your comfort zone and got rewarded at every turn because whatever instincts brought them to the culmination of putting out the track that we know, it, it's just sublime. It, it, it's um, just incredible. It's just incredible. I was just looking in the um, Kindle version of Under the Ivy, and there's a section where they're talking about um, recording the rough mixes um, for uh, for Hounds of Love. Um, this is, after Christmas, rough mixes were assembled with provisional lead vocals and backing vocals in order to take the album sessions over to Ireland. Following the success of Night of the Swallow, Bush envisaged more Irish instrumentation on the new album. Planksty keyboardist Bill Whalen traveled to the studio to hear the tracks and agreed she would travel to Dublin in the spring of 84 for extended sessions at Windmill Lane, where bazooki, pipes, fiddles, and whistles were added to And Dream of Sheep and Hello Earth. She was typically exact and demanding. Donald Looney, Lunny later recalled how Bush asked him to play the single whistle note at the end of And Dream of Sheep over and over again for three hours, searching for just the right bend in the note. The main item on the agenda <laughs> was Jig of Life. Based on a Greek tune, Patty, ever the musical archaeologist, had unearthed. Hmm, that's odd. That's the, it's the only place where I've heard, uh, where I've heard it... Um... Or that piece identified as Greek, because let me let me see and let me find the exact interview quote that I'm looking for. It doesn't like, I wanna, sound I wanna... Greek to me. <laughs> it really doesn't. It's no, it it really does not. Like and plus the piece, uh, the 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 Alan Stavell piece, just mm-hmm. it's just way too similar for the there not not be a deliberate connection. Like the song was uh, written in Ireland, uh, also just a ton of Irish musicians. Yeah, I think, uh, sorry, Graham, I think you're wrong on this one. Well, at any rate, it was a really cool discovery. And yeah, and also there was that website you um, you had sent me on Messenger, uh, the session.org. And yeah, people talk, oh, wait, no, this might have been something that he actually wrote. Yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure out if like that, that's a, piece she discovered beforehand or not but uh yeah this should be interesting to look at again i i don't i i let me i don't remember the details of what i sent you now but uh let me just pull that up yeah it was a 
big um, long thing you sent me on Messenger um, earlier this morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's some sheet music. I think the piece is uh, in name and being named is in six eight. Mm-hmm. All right. So it, it has yeah, I, the I, feel yeah, of three four, but it's not quite like it's. I never quite yeah. understood, honestly, six eight and three four. I know one. You Neither count, do I. Bleh, I write in four four all the time. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or three, four, if I feel like it. Yeah, that's fair. Because like on the next, I often have trouble telling whether a song is in three, four, six, eight. It's weird. It's kind of a, I think Hounds of Love is kind of where she moves forward from camp to um, uh, to like say more traditionalist folk music. I mean, not entirely, because I mean, there you still have stuff like uh, the Big Sky on Hounds of Love, and there like obviously there's still uh there's still rock instruments on um. On a jig of life, uh, which is another thing she borrows from Alain Stavell, who, uh, while kind of uh, bringing about this uh, Celtic revival in the 70s, uh, would integrate rock instruments into his mm. stuff. Like, say, you have, uh, like, Del, you still have Del Palmer on the bass in, in this song uh, alongside the, I can't actually read those instrument names. <laughs> Although, you, I think an interesting bit that I didn't realize before is that it has two drummers. It's uh, both Stuart Elliott and Charlie Morgan on this one. We've got fiddles and whistles from uh, John Sheehan. We got Bazuki and the Baudran, Baudran uh, from Donald Lunny. We got the Ilian Pipes from Liam O'Flynn. Uh, yeah, B- uh, Dell is on the bass. There's a didgeridoo in there from Patty. Yes. And then the narration by Jay doing the poem at the end. I do love how, uh, like, you can basically do uh, the uh, the Kate Bush career as um, the story of Patty Bush learning to play the instrument under the sun. Basically, <laughs> he just needs to play the most like if, interesting instruments. I look at like the instrumentation of the song. I go, "What instrument is this?" Yeah, like when he um, talks about playing the Stramento de Porco for um, mm-hmm. Tasha from Baghdad, you just go like, what the hell is that? But yeah, you can just imagine Patty just walking into basically any music store and going, what's this? And Kate just trying to drag him out the door. It's like, please, Patty. He's like, wait, no, I want to play this weird pig thing. <laughs> yeah, speaking of playing instruments, um, so yeah, this is this is also from Under the Ivy. I thought this was really cool. Um uh, Bush only finished writing the song, or Jig of Life, in uh, Bill Whalen's house in Dublin the day before the session, and it was recorded over the next few days with the cream of Ireland's traditional musicians. Lunny, Liam O'Flynn, John Sheehan, jamming for hours, spinning the track into a delirium. Quote, they started playing along with it and just reduced both of us to gibbering wet wrecks, Dell recalled. It was such a magic moment. Wait, so uh, Jacob's Life would have been the last song to get written for Hounds? It sounds like it was one of the last ones. Okay, that uh, now I know how to sequence the those blog posts. Okay, good to know. Yeah, she would travel to Dublin in the spring of 84 for extended sessions. So yeah, it was sometime in the spring of 84. They were putting everything together, and then by Christmas of 84, rough mixes were done for the album. Yeah, she had played with these guys before on Night of the Swallow. Oh, that ex- oh, that explains it. Yeah, Night mm-hmm. of the Swallow was probably the most obvious uh, predecessor for this song. That's uh, it's the same. Just uh, 
it's it's another uh, come on and let me live track. I I do love I I just do love uh, the the recording of Night of the Swallow just using three Abbey Road studios at once to record a single song that is. <laughs> just... Yeah, and I've heard of several other artists in the '80s doing similar things, <laughs> like just the way they'd all mic those things up and like. Just like technology was just exploding at that time. It's like, oh, wait, we can do all this and this and this. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, which leads to quite a lot of 80s albums being um, overproduced, let's say, or just uh, like getting carried away by uh, the technology of uh, the time that maybe does not allow all the music to uh, date well, but... Uh, yeah, Hounds of Love, it, it it sounds very 1985, but not dated. Exactly. And I think a lot of that is to do just with the, the way some of the stuff is balanced and maybe just the way it was mixed that it still sounds a little bit 80s, especially with some of those drums. Like, it still sounds very, like, you play the drum and just, just the sound around it just gets sucked in. But yeah, at the same time, like who else was putting out a mainstream album with something like Jig of Life on it? Not very many people were doing that. Yeah, I can't think of anyone. I, I, I can think of people at the time doing other weird shit, but um, no, Jig of Life <laughs> is just a Kate Bush song. Yeah, I think within the, the context of the, uh, what do you think of the song, uh, especially in the context of like the overarching story? I should have probably re-listened to the Ninth Wave today. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I I feel like it kind of uh, presents a turning point for uh, the, for her character. Okay, so it's after uh, watching you without me and right before Hello Earth. Hello Earth is the proper climax of uh, of the album, but Jig of Life essentially ushers it in and i suppose that jig of life is just where like she finally just uh confronts herself turns her attention from the outside uh, to the inside then mm-hmm. uh, just le- leading up to this kind of big explosion on hello earth and then the release of the morning fog so i think it is yeah it's the turn it's the turn of the tide for uh ninth wave pun intended uh shit <laughs> i didn't even catch that one <laughs> It's, I, I make puns so instinctually that I don't even count, uh, I don't even I don't even tend, tend some of them like wow I I, I need help <laughs> it's okay that one was very fitting <laughs> that's that's the problem oh god like, we should just stop now like like just keep it with the pun like never record anything for the podcast <laughs> again just the not the way pun is the end <laughs> If we keep recording, we might come uh, up with even better ones. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would probably have to sneak it into the vlog somehow. I think you should. When you get to the song in maybe a year, maybe something like that. Um, I think it might be a little less than a year. Let me I mean, let me do the math because I'll. I'm probably going to start doing the dreaming around December, so that might let me do. Counts of love maybe by by the summer so actually a year might be about right so yeah i'll just try to uh remember that i i do tend to link the podcasts that i've done uh in the in the appropriate entries for them mm-hmm. i've noticed yay <laughs> yay free publicity i know 
Oh, let's see what else about this song. So we've kind of talked about its place in the story. Yeah, because watching it without me is her kind of looking at herself and watching her family just going about their daily business and she's watching them as a ghost and she wants them to notice her and and but of course they don't because she's just a ghost and then this song comes in it's like oh wait I actually do want to be alive I have to get through this and then yeah like we were saying I feel like I agree the the climax of the album or at least of the ninth wave is definitely the next song and this is like yeah, propelling you toward that climax. Yeah, I think uh, Hello Earth is kind of the rebirth, and uh, not just because of the whole I was there at the at the birth, out of the cloudburst, etc. But yeah, it's I think Jig of Life is uh, where shit gets real. Yeah, she's kind of looking at herself and realizing, wait a minute, no, I need to get through this terrible situation and and like meet my family and see my family again. I have to do this. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's okay. I think it's cool. <laughs> Are you sure? But yeah, I thought it, this I, was your absolute favorite Kate Bush song. I thought it was more than just cool. I, I think uh, Kate Bush is fine. I can tolerate her. I've listened to a few <laughs> songs. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not doing this blog just to torture myself. There's presumably a reason I'm writing this. Oh, here, I thought it was just because, you know, you wanted to give yourself more work. <laughs> well, that too, that too. I mean, God, I've written 43 of these, okay. <laughs> From Kate, Inside the Rainbow, by John Carter Bush. My brother, my sister, and myself are the children of an Anglo-Irish family in which the Irish aspect always seemed more in focus, maybe because during our childhoods, summer holidays were often spent in Ireland. During the rest of the year, those of my mother's brothers and sisters already living in England would drop in and we would frequently have a cousin or young relative from Ireland staying with us. My mother filled our house with her Celtic beauty and her singing. Her philosophy of life always referenced her childhood and upbringing in the rural south of Ireland. For me as a child, the Irish aspect of our origins manifested in something enchanting, musical and innocently affectionate, our Irishness seemed glamorous. Our Englishness gray, sedate and boring. Ireland with summer holidays and the color of wild fuchsia and rhododendron, blue skies, golden strands, wild seas and wild music. England was the dullness of smog, school corridors and ice forming on the morning milk bottles. Our father embraced the Irish influence that had come with his marriage to our mother and loved taking us over on the ferry from Fishguard to Roeslare. Southern Ireland in those days was romantically celebrated with films such as The Quiet Man, and to my young eyes it felt like entering a film set, particularly as our mother looked remarkably like Maureen O'Hara. Our father embraced the music, the dancing, and the humor, and he was welcomed into our mother's family with warmth and affection. He also tried to transfer his classical proficiency on the piano to the piano accordion so that he could play Irish dance music with them. Most of our uncles played an instrument, and our mother's family all loved dancing, both traditional and ballroom. At our grandparents' cottage so close to the Atlantic Ocean, it usually flooded in winter, 
There would be the pounding of the fiddle and the accordion, starting up like some kind of musical engine against a background rumble of waves crashing on the cliffs at the mouth of the cove. Then the stamping of hard shoes on the flagstone floor of the one room that was kitchen and living room, amid a fug of cigarette and pipe tobacco and the sweet tang of Guinness from bottles. It would be a few years before those flagstones gave way in the lino and carpets that heralded the decline in Irish dance until its inevitable popular revival years later with river dance. Our aunts and uncles and our mother, an accomplished step dancer, would be flying around the room, red-cheeked and beautiful, curly-haired and with faces like film stars, lit by spluttering oil lamps. And the fact that she had this as a jig, which is uh, definitely, I would assume, a form of folk dance that she would have been familiar with uh, growing up as a child and going to see her mother's family in Ireland. In fact, um, just kind of like whatever, what it, what is a jig, I thought was, I think is really in, intriguing. It's, um, it's a form of lively folk dance in what they call compound meter, as well as Ooh. the, as the accompanying dance tune. It developed in 16th century England. and was quickly adopted on mainland Europe, where it eventually became the final movement of the, ma- of the mature Baroque dance suite, the French gigue, Italian and Spanish giga. Today, it is most associated with Irish dance music, Scottish country dance, and the Métis people in Canada. Jigs were originally in duple compound meter, for example, 12-8 time, but have been adapted to a variety of time signatures by which they are often classified into groups, including light jigs, slip jigs, simple jigs, single jigs, double jigs, and treble, treble jigs. There was also the reel and the waltz. And the term was probably derived from the French gigue, which means to jump, or the Italian giga. The use of a jig in Irish dance derives from the Irish, I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, uh, <laughs> itself borrowed from the old English giga, meaning old dance. It was known as a dance in 16th century England, often in 12-8 time, and the term was used for a post-play entertainment featuring dance in early modern England, but which probably employed a great variety of dances, solo, suitable for jigs, paired, round, country, or courtly. And later, the dance began to be associated with music, uh, particularly in 6-8 time and with slip jigs 9-8 time. And so like 6-8 means that uh, it feels like it's 3-4, but instead of the quarter note getting the beat, it's the half, it's the eighth note getting a beat, and you have six beats per measure, so everything's divided up into threes, and that's why they call it a compound meter, because you can divide it into threes. Whereas most yeah. pop songs are four four because it's right. nice and easy. It's I write in mostly four four, but occasionally like slip to six four or something because I like want to add two extra beats. And uh, yeah, very Jane Sibbery. Yeah, yeah. Very. And uh, during the 17th century, the dance was adopted in Ireland and Scotland, where it was widely adapted. And the jig is now most often associated with these countries. The jig is second in popularity only to the real in traditional Irish dance. It is popular, but somewhat less common in Scottish country dance music. And a reel, which, I mean, this isn't, but a, uh, a reel is similar to a jig, but it's in a different time signature. So it's going to, it's going to have a different kind of feel to it. Like, huh. So yeah. it's directly related to the, the meter. 
the mm-hmm. difference between a jig and a reel. Yeah, and a reel a reel is notated in simple meter, either as two two or four four. Whereas That's fascinating, actually. Mm-hmm. And wow, if you listen to that. Jig of Life, like it's got the, I don't know what it is about, especially like 3 4. And I mean, 3 4 is very similar to 6 4. It's just like this how many beats per measure and how things are divided up. And right. within the measure, that it's got this like driving, like it makes you want to get up and just move, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's well, very it's- fitting that she would have chosen to kind of look back to her past. I mean, this all is, this whole song is about like, like looking to your past and trying to tell you just to, to keep on going. She's looking to her past, all these Irish folk songs that she would have listened to as a child. And she probably danced all these different jigs with her family when she was visiting in Ireland. And so she just like brings this in and it's like, nobody else was doing this in 1985, you know? Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you. The, nobody in the United States was hearing it. Mm-hmm. There were certainly um, British music and Irish music. I would only know enough to make somebody upset and um, need to correct me, you know, straight away. But there has always been a traditional music scene in the UK and in Ireland, uh, bands like uh, Pentangle and the Chieftains mm-hmm. out of Ireland, who who were big in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, even as uh, Dylan here continued the folk revival into the 60s. Well, they had a folk revival in England. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, um, it would have been odd necessarily to hear folk music if you went out looking for folk music. What is odd is that Kate Bush puts this very traditional sounding um, music with the words that she does in the placement of it in this album. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, You didn't hear a lot of traditional music without reference or trying to plug it in making it electric and for an album that is absolutely cutting edge in 1985 in so many respects for for the Fairlight and the Lynn drum programming and the sampling of things that they were doing um, to all of a sudden pull it back and have this you know tour de force unapologetically without a nod to the contemporary was, well, it was just a gift from heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, we definitely have seen world music coming through in, in different rhythms throughout the seventies and the early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kate was, was doing something that, that anyone at the time would tell you like, Oh, you know, is one of those things when when the single King of the Mountain came out for Ariel mm-hmm. there was a review that came out and they said well I don't know if if you guys I can't remember what the review, reviewer said exactly but to paraphrase it's like um, whether you liked that song or you didn't can we just all agree that Kate Bush makes it look like nobody else is even trying <laughs> like 
look at the, you know, what the songs are about at the time, you know, you haven't heard anything from her in 12 years, and she starts a song out mumbling, and you can't even understand what she's saying. By the end of the first verse, you get this sense that she's talking about Elvis, and there's Rosebud from Citizen Kane, and shit, how, you know, who thinks to put these things together? So, yes, here we go with Kate Bush, side two of Hounds of Love in the Ninth Wave, and she just throws down a full gauntlet, and you can actually see it. You can see this song being played behind a scene in a movie, like where they're trying to escape from a maze or something. Mm -hmm. the, the, what, when, the, when you get into the instrumental section, and essentially it kind of jumps, it sounds like it goes sharp. Do you, do you know what, what section I'm referring to? There's like da 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 It kind of Yes. I mean if you could play that little clip and and take me rambling out of it, um that would be amazing because the force that that brings into the track and the tension, like it's enough to snack to snap your bones. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden it's like you've um you, if you see a, a river rushing, then all of a sudden it hit a bridge or a pylon that it wasn't expecting because it brings up that tension. And that's just masterful. And people complained, certainly at the time, and they still complain today, that it took so long between The Dreaming and Hounds of Love, the album, to come out. But when you hear things like that, when you hear these juxtapositions... And then start following the through line of the ideas. Um, ideas do not come in a flood that you that stay um, balled together and let you pull them out. You know, mm -hmm. uh, ideas you pull from the ether or dreams or uh, whatever you smoked. But the the fact that Kate Bush could come off the dreaming, promote the dreaming, do the videos, you know have three meals a day, maybe say hi to the people that she loves, and was able to put Hounds of Love out in only three years after that, I think that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's pretty stunning for the, the piece of artistry that we got in only three years. You know, who else took three years off and did that? It's not very often you, you can hold a piece of work up like this they have so many complexities, so many mood swings, tell a story, uh, references from here to, to yawn, let alone the fact that it's played brilliantly and that it's also sang brilliantly. You know, like mm -hmm. you've got, bless his heart, Leonard Cohen, one of our greatest songwriters ever, but a lot of people didn't want to hear Leonard sing his songs. He wasn't a blessed singer, um, so, to, so to speak. But but Kate, oh my God, she wrote that amazing lyric and she sings like that? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, and by the way, she's one of the best unheralded piano players we have. Like just to get to hear Kate Bush sit and play Misty for 13 minutes in one take, that is, I mean, that's rhythm, like piano as a percussion instrument sitting in rhythm. It's a Astounding. Most people, as we know, and even singers today, they can't stay on a note for more than four bars. Mm -hmm. They've got to do trills and leaps and runs. And of course, 
anyone who knows much about singing knows that is not the herald of a great singer. Mm, a nope. great singer is someone who can stay on the note, who can breathe through the note, who can close at the end. You know, all, all these things that um, were very apparent, actually, in the 80s, singers like uh, Annie Lennox and, and Kate, and um, that she has it in spades. You know, I mean, they talk about uh, the triple threat, you know, sing, dance, and um, wow, what 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 is there left that Kate can't do? Mm-hmm. You know, we know she can. I mean, I guess she could write a novel, which I'd love to read. That'd be amazing. So, um, but yeah, I love that this is in three four. That's amazing. Or three, six eight. Six yeah. eight. That it is based on. Um, what you thought of the live version i think she it's one of the song, one of the songs she seems to be more comfortable with uh singing live like it, it really since she kind of it, it's lower in a range it, it kind of works with her uh mature voice agreed yeah plus there's uh i think some of the some of the new backing vocals are uh, a nice touch maybe an improvement but I don't know. I'd have to. I have to listen more to really decide because I, I think the studio recording, as it is, is uh, basically perfect. Yeah, and, and what I can see too of the uh, so we have the. We, I mean, officially we have the audio, but I know some people who have uh, <clears throat> shared around video in secret places of the show. Oh, I've never done that. I, I've I've never no no I've never done that never in my my, my life I'm a I, I only do legal things. <laughs> so I was able to see you know <clears throat> some footage from the song, and it was it was fun to watch. I mean you can see just the energy of the people in the song, and because this is such an energetic like intense sort of song, and I I thought it was interesting at the end with her brother's poem that it was a, they showed a look like a video of him saying the, uh, the poem that goes over that part. Oh yeah. I, I don't think I've actually watched the whole video, but that sounds like a neat touch. Yeah. There's, they're dancing around and I mean, it's a pretty, I feel like it's a pretty literal interpretation of the song and it's, it's always great to hear Kate actually singing live and, I agree. It sounds like this was one of the more comfortable songs for her to sing because her voice has lowered quite a bit from her early days. It is generally going to when you're a woman, you tend to, your voice tends to change a lot more than a man's does when uh, the older you get because of menopause and all that other fun sort of things. But uh, her voice especially has like, it, I can still tell it's her when she's when I'm listening to Before the Dawn, but it's just like it's got a lot more like booming low to it. I mean, like it's even more complicated when you're a trans woman because I'm a both I'm both a tenor and a soprano. <laughs> yeah. 
but yeah, it's uh, I think her voice is it's aged surprisingly well. I think she's one of the singers of her generation whose whose voice is just uh, not completely deteriorated. Like say, you listen to uh, Roger Daltrey now and on stage, and he's he sounds like he's trying to top up a hairball or something. Ugh. No, thank you. It's like Roger. It's like Roger. We're we're bringing out the bucket. Please just please just get it out. Just get it out. And sing. <laughs> well, it's not like she did. Okay. You know, a lot of touring, and for her her voice to get more weathered. I mean, we know we know she was a smoker, and that will definitely affect her voice. But indeed, yeah. I, it was, I think David Bowie stopped uh, smoking around two thousand, and it just uh, immediately. Had a positive effect on his singing. Mm-hmm. You can breathe better. Your tone is a lot more clean. And I can I can start to tell, I think, a little more in the next album, I think, where, like, the smoking has affected her voice a little bit more. And, of course, I'll, you know, I'll talk about that when I, when I get to that album. But her voice is definitely, I mean, she's, she gets a little bit here where her, her, uh, her singing is a little bit more deep than what she did before, but I know by the time we get to Central World, there's a little bit of like like gr- almost like a grittier kind of raspiness to her voice that you don't really that you yeah. didn't get in her earlier stuff. Yeah, I think that's a fairly it's, it's kind of prominent on a uh, Red Shoes too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think about uh, And So Is Love, and there's kind of a huskiness to some of the vocal on that. Yep. There are also a lot more a lot more vocal breaks on that album, too, especially uh, when she sings And So Is Love. Um, when she sings at the octave up for the first time, there's like this, it almost sounds like a squeak, but no, it's, it's a, she's letting her voice crack. Yeah, I mean, I imagine a, a part of that is just all the shit she had to deal with while making that album. Because mm-hmm. that just sounds like a hell of a production process, just everything oh, yeah. that was happening. Like, how do you make an album when, when all that's going on? Yeah, contrast that with this album where it sounds like she she was like, I mean, she had her home studio, so she, so Kate could just go, hey! let's just go hang out in the studio for a day and just jam and see what happens and yeah we're not taking up people's studio time yay go us yeah she's she's just at the high powers on pounds of love like the just that that is that that's an artist uh in their uh imperial uh what's the what's the word imperial uh let me just Damn, what's it called? Imperial stage. Regal? Imperial phase, that's it. Oh, there, imperial phase. You can tell I'm a good uh, music critic because I know <laughs> words. <laughs> Always a good thing to know words. Yeah, but yeah, it's uh, very it's very much uh, her at the height of her imperial phase. Like, she just has complete control over every aspect of her work. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, you don't really get uh, better 80s albums than this. Exactly. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but have, I asked a contra- version, have I asked a controversial question? 
<laughs> no, no. It was one of those things where I thought in my head, like, should I even try to talk about that? Because um, <laughs> this week, this has been on my mind a lot because as everyone's going, oh, it's been five years, it's been five years. Well, the ninth, I saw Before the Dawn on September 9th. And um, I, of course, I think when uh, my time is at an end and my life flashes before my eyes, one of the main things will be seeing Before the Dawn. It's still, I was sitting at work Monday morning and uh, literally teared up, like just the enormity of it. And um, I, I was very lucky. I sat next to a couple named um, Babs, no, 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 Mags, M, Mags and Barnaby. And they were from the West Country, like out in Devon. And they were everything you could want and more in 2K Bush fans. They um, chatted and, and um, I told them, at first I was kind of hesitant to talk because when I got my ticket to, to see Before the Dawn, I kind of felt guilty because I was an American fan coming over to get to see it. And I thought, you know, there's probably some British fan who has been a fan since 1978, who grew up with her, who wasn't able to get a ticket. And I just kind of felt guilty. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, she was like, no, do not feel that way. This is wonderful. This is great. And as the show progressed, um, it was just amazing. I mean, I mean, I cried with them, held hands with them. It was just a, a beautiful uh, gift. And right before that, uh, in, this, in the walk, watching you without me section, mm -hmm. there's a line that um, Bertie says, I think he says, it's big and pink. And um, I grabbed her hand and said, and not like me, you know, like from um, pull out the pen. You know, like it was a direct reference to the dreaming in that little skit. Like it's big and pink and not like me. And um, she looked at me and like we like had this moment of like, okay, I totally get you. I liked you before, but we're totally on the same wavelength. Mm -hmm. So Jig of Life coming up being one of my favorite Kate songs and knowing where the story's going and um, so much going on that... I know when I saw it, I cried most of the way through it. I remember flashes of it. I remember the the um, fish people kind of um, taking scrims or sheets and pulling them across the stage so it looked like waves. And I remember Kate, and I remember when the screen came down and, and Patty was on the screen um, reciting the poem but it's really only flashes. Like, I only got to see Before the Dawn the one time. And um, it was amazing to me listening to Sean Toomey's podcast where he went through in three different podcasts and one was about the show because he reminded me of things I forgot or some things I swear to God, I'm like, oh, okay, I missed that totally because you were looking somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And um, some people who got to see it four and five times um, – picked up things that one person seeing at one time is not going to pick up. It's just not possible. So um, 
I remember Jig of Life in the Night being one of the highlights. Um, not my ultimate highlight, and I will tell you that separately if, if I get to talk to you about that song. But cool. Um, but I remember it being a highlight, like tears in my eyes, just um, tingling all over. Just, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. just that um, being so caught up in it and it just being an amazing, amazing trans, a transitional song because things are happening and you're going to get into to Hello Earth. And, um, but it being just a stunning piece live. And for so many parts to be going on and then actually being performed live, uh, obviously the poem was that that came down on the screen, but to see so many things, uh, the background singers doing it live, it was incredible. That to say, when the album came out, before the dawn, the album, and I got to that part, I was ready for like this re-experiencing of something, like this religious experience. Yeah. And it initially it fell short of my memories. And I thought, well, isn't that just like life? One of the things that you thought was so astounding, actually hearing what it was. And I don't say that as a negative. I say that only in the sense of when when Kate did the interview, um, when Before the Dawn, the album came out, and she talked about the Elton John album and how that was only an album and uh, how she loved it, and she loved that it wasn't visual, that it was just an album, and um, how music can tell you something by itself without the visual. And respecting her choice, obviously, because we don't have a choice uh, ourselves in it, there was that one moment that I would have went, well, Kate, I will tell you this, Jig of Life, without the visuals and in the moment, seemed, did not live up to my memory, the way most of the things on the album uh, buoy my memory and, and increase it. That one, the just the recording, didn't quite bring up the excitement that it had that night. Hmm in the fallout from that or in the time since then i don't feel that way it's amazing it's immediate it does bring back memories but that was one and maybe if there was a film of it cecily maybe it would be the exact same thing maybe i'd go oh this film did not capture it at all and maybe yeah. maybe she felt that but it took some time for me to appreciate the live version on the album in the same way that I did when I actually saw it there. Interesting. Like King of the Mountain was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, in person. And it was, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, on the album. I'm like, wow. Like that, mm -hmm. you know, like they both gave it to you. Jig of Life didn't. Um, but then later, when I take it as a whole and listen to it, and part of it could be because the ninth wave on the album Before the Dawn, she takes out the crowd noises. I noticed she, that. She talked about it. She's like, because the crowd, I'm uh, sorry, the crowd is reacting to things that are shown visually that do not have a counterpoint in the audio track. Like in Watching You Without Me, 
there's this door keeps on opening and closing and then suddenly Kate is behind the door one time. Mm-hmm. And like people gasped. It was like, <gasps> you know, but if you had that in the track, you wouldn't know why the crowd made that noise because they saw something they didn't, um, that we as a, an audio listener did not get to see. So we don't know what the cues for. So I get it why she did that. And I wonder if you had the audience reaction in Jig of Life, that it, if it would probably give you the fullness of the experience, just feeding off the energy of the audience track um, in relation to hearing Jig of Life. So hmm. I absolutely love it live as a track, as a live track. But I can say that in that first initial, when I listened to Before the Dawn, um, that it was like, oh, well, that's not as good as I remember. Like I said, and I love it now, but that initial, you know, I, I think there's a beautiful um, continuity in it, and uh, Patty sounds great. I do wonder, like, the um, how we talked in the beginning when we were talking about how low it is for Kate to sing. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this is one of the songs they didn't have to lower. I don't think they did because it yeah. starts pretty low to begin with. And she, like the highest she ever gets is maybe on the, the some of those backgrounds of come on, let me live. And it's really not that low right. <laughs> or that high. Yeah. It's, it's really not. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you. Like, um, but I, there was something I thought of. I thought, well, huh, I bet they didn't have to lower this one. Cause that was pretty low to begin with. No, and Dream of Sheep was definitely lowered. Uh, Waking the Witch wasn't lowered, but I did notice—I did notice at least in the um, the live version of that—that the higher parts where she's singing "Help This Blackbird," it definitely sounds like they just played the tape of it backstage or something. Because at that point, if yeah, I've watched the bootlegs where she's at that moment where they have helped this blackbird, she's yelling on stage. So it's like, no, that's not live. That's something that's pre-recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's some things that, um, Sean Toomey pointed out like, Oh, on the album that this wasn't, it doesn't have this on the album, but there on the night you, you heard this or you heard that. So, um, yeah, I think there are definitely some, there were some for all that the liner notes say that, every bit of this was live recording. You know, there was, there was no after effects or whatever. There were um, some liberties taken with some sections. Yeah. Which to present it, I mean, I still can't believe that she actually put the soundtrack to the whole show out. Mm -hmm. Like that's stunning. You know, and here's a four LP set. That's more than generous. Most people would not have gone for the trouble and you can tell that when you listen to before the dawn as a whole the, the um cd or the vinyl my god what a labor of love what a labor of love so as much as i hope there is a blu-ray or dvd to come at some point um i'm so glad that they didn't chop it down like they did uh the tour of life that mm-hmm. we actually have the whole show and um Jig of Life was one of the absolute highlights of the show. Time. 
you so much for uh, being on the show today to talk about your favorite Kate Bush song. Uh, thanks for having me, Cecily. And uh, one more time, where can people find your uh, find Dreams of Organ on? Uh, you can find Dreams of Organ on at katebushsongs.wordpress.com. I also have a Patreon, so you can find me at um, uh, patreon.com slash gorse where you can uh, read uh, my Dreams of Organ on posts a little early for as little as $1 post. And uh, some of my other writing, like uh, capsule book reviews, uh, requests, um, uh, requester reviews. Oh, yeah, for – no, wait, sorry, cut the bit out. Um, but, yeah, you can uh, just read uh, other stuff like my um, little capsule book reviews, occasional essays about movies. And uh, if you just want to find me anywhere, then I'm on Twitter at Ballardian Gorse. So you can basically just find the blog and the Patreon through there too. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Make sure to go give her, go give her a follow and support her stuff on Patreon. Go read the blog and get even, even more Kate Bush. Yay. Cause we can't get enough of Kate Bush. Yay. Oh my God. I know. We can't know. Indeed. Thank you. So, by the way, thank you so much for being on the show today to talk about one of your favorite Kate Bush songs. Always great to talk to you. And of course, Thank you. Thank you for your support on the Patreon. It really means a lot that people are enjoying the show and everything. Oh, yeah. And we mentioned to it earlier. It was one of those things like, okay, one bill has to get paid off before I add anything, even if it is modest, you know. Like, I can't add anything, and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I need to do that. So, <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. Well, I guess after all that dance in there, we're going to be a little bit dizzy. Like, Ooh, okay, we need to set that. Okay, okay. Well, it's time to chill out now for next week's episode, which will be on Hello Earth. And wow, that's going to be a really cool episode too, let me tell you. Because next week, we're going to have Zoe P on the show because that's one of her absolute favorite Kate Bush songs. And so, of course, she's going to be on here to talk about it. And then we have Paul Tate, who's going to be offering up some of his musical insight for the song. So we'll get to hear about that. And I have to say, well, that's going to be the second to last album track from Hounds of Love. We'll After next week, we have The Morning Fog, and then we're going to get to do a short break, and then we're going to start talking about all of the Hounds of Love B-sides and collaborations. Oh my goodness, all those other tracks that came out at that time, all your B-sides, the collaborations, and oh, I, I can't wait to dig into that part because some of my, I'm just going to say it, spoiler alert, maybe one of a couple of those songs in this era and the B-side section Maybe in my top 10 Kate Bush songs of all time. And maybe in yours as well. By the way, speaking of favorite songs, if there's a favorite song that you would like to talk about for a future episode that we haven't gotten to yet, you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast. You can find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast and also on the web at kbcast.linkmedia.com. That's link with an E and that's KB, B as in boy cast.linkmedia.com you can also email me at kbcast at linkmedia.com and if you would like to support the show we always like having more patreon folks kate bush uh sorry patreon.com slash kate bush podcast so that's where you can find me and of course you can also call our hotline at any time 757 
349-6886 and you can leave a brief message about your favorite Kepa song and it might get played in a future episode. Who knows? So join us next week for a discussion of Hello Earth. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.